You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to this episode of Disease to Shore on the topic of orthobiologics in horses with Kit Allen DVM. He's the owner of Virginia Equine Imaging in Middleburg, Virginia, and a founder of the International Society of Equine Locomotor Pathology, or ICELP. I'm your host, Kim Brown, editor of Equimanagement. The Disease to Shore podcast is brought to you in 2023 by Merck Animal Health. Allen received his DVM from the University of Missouri in 1979, and he's been practicing equine medicine ever since. Allen opened Virginia Equine Imaging in 1996 after selling the practice he formerly owned in Arizona. Virginia Equine Imaging became the first privately owned and operated equine diagnostic imaging specialty clinic in the world. Thank you, Dr. Allen, for joining us today on Disease Du Jour to talk about orthobiologics in horses. Absolutely. Thank you, Kim, for having me. And uh, thanks to our friends from Merck for letting us do this. Um, yeah, it, it's a great thing to, to talk about. It's an interesting topic and uh, one that's uh, had me fired up for years. And we've been utilizing a variety of, you know, what used to be called regenerative therapies. Now, the more modern term for it nowadays is orthobiologics because they're they're used in an orthopedic fashion, orthopedic medicine, but they're biological. So they are coming from an animal and usually the same animal they're going back into with a few rare exceptions to that. Um, yeah. So shall I just start through them? Absolutely. I think really what we would like to hear from you, Dr. Allen, is is what you're using, how you choose them, you know, and how you decide which cases to use them on. Yeah, and it's, it's you know, complex kind of uh, an algorithm that you have to use for which you use for a given case, uh, the owner of the horse's economics, uh, the the thought and experience of the given uh, orthobiologics that we're utilizing. And, you know, essentially, particularly with clinicians, it comes down to, well, gosh, I've had great success. You know, you you want to talk about that, but I've had great success doing, utilizing this orthobiologic in this case. And if you have that, you know, you're silly to go change to something maybe new because you're getting good results and that's the bottom line. Uh, there's a lot of science to it, you know, you, you know, which uh, we'll, we'll talk about a bunch of different ones, but the, the, if I just do it chronologically, um, you know, the first one we started using years ago was IRAP. Yeah. And so I always say IRAP was 1.0, you know, <laughs> uh, and so then we've had other generations happen. And simultaneously with IRAP and IRAP is kind of um, it, it's a, a variety of different um, proteins and growth factors in there. 
And again, it's the same thing. Uh, you draw it sterilely from the horse. And it had the drawback of you had to incubate it for a period of time. So on the day the horse came in, you couldn't use it on the same day. Uh, you had to wait for this incubation process to go on. And then you drew the product out of the incubation syringe capsule that it was in, and then it was ready for use. And then oftentimes, because this was first generation and and maybe some of the growth factors were a little dilute, um, then they'd say, oh, we'll come back in a week or two and re-inject it. Okay, so there became issues of ease of use and and what the clientele wanted to do. So, you know, we searched around, gee, were there other alternatives? Uh, but yeah. that was number one. Uh, so simultaneously, products like PRP, platelet-rich plasma, were being used uh, primarily in human medicine. Um, and so we looked at a variety of different ones, and there's, you know, uh, leukocyte-rich, um, RBC rich PRP, or there's leukocyte poor, um, uh, RBC poor, uh, PRP. So there's different types, and you can make them a variety of different ways. Uh, some are friendlier for kind of a stall side approach. Others, you know, and the majority of them need a centrifuge and varying sophistication of a centrifuge that you need to use and how many spins you have to do. Does it have to be in a sterile environment? Can it be in a barn environment? Um, and so those are all things you had to deal with. And we settled on a, uh, for more for our out clinic, and this is probably still the most common in, in orthobiologics and veterinary medicine, is to use a leukocyte-rich WBC rich PRP uh, out clinic. Now, in clinic, as we started doing procedures um, like backs and necks, well, that would, because you're doing a lot of different injections, you need a lot of PRP. And for that one, what we found is what works the best, perhaps, is using a methodology that uses a special centrifuge. We actually do it in, in a uh, laminar flow hood in clinic, so more of a sterilish environment. Um, and that is uh, RBC poor, WBC poor, um, PRP. And then you can, but you can generate a large amount of that. Um, you know, 40, 40 or more cc's of it. And so that's a real advantage if you're trying to inject the neck and the back and the SI all the same. So that kind of, I kind of call that orthobiologics 2.0, okay? <laughs> and, and there is a lot of data in human medicine. There are 10,000 articles on PRP use in humans. Now, wow. they're less than 200 in horses. Um, and so, you know, 
there's a lot of information. Some of it is high quality information. Some of it is lower quality information uh, that you and and some of it is mixed in the reviews. You know, it'll come and say, oh, the PRP did nothing here in this case. Well, okay, how did you use it? You know, PRP is being generated by the animal that it's taken from or the person that it's being taken from. And if if your population is all, you know, 70 plus years of age in human medicine, then that may not be as high quality PRP. So that's to take into effect. How you did it, is it RBC poor or rich, WBC poor or rich, all those are thought to have effects upon all. So it, it does matter how you do it. And there are certainly, um, you know, we've learned now over the years, and again, I keep referring to human medicine because that's where the majority of the papers are. But, you know, if you're, if you're saying need, and knees are commonly injected in human medicine with PRP. Well, if you just take the entire spectrum of knee pathology, you're going to have mixed results. If you say, I want to do mild to moderate osteoarthritis of the knee, okay, how's PRP done? Well, PRP does really well, okay? Um, so it matters what you inject, where you put it, the manner in which you put it, and how you generate it one way or another. Today's Diseased is Your podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health, the maker of prestige vaccines, Banamine, Panicure, Regimate, Protozil, and other trusted equine health solutions. Merck Animal Health works for you and for horses. Learn more about Merck Animal Health's comprehensive portfolio of products, as well as their unconditional investment in our industry, profession, and community through programs such as the Respiratory Biosurveillance Program, the partnership with Equitrace, which delivers secure, streamlined record keeping and instantaneous temperature measurements when coupled with Merck Animal Health Biotherm Microchips. Visit MerckAnimalHealthUSA.com for more information. So with PRP 2.0, we had a variety of different ways to use it. We could use it out clinic, we could use it in clinic, Um, became very successful. We've used a ton of So now now you're getting to a little bit the newer, and even though some of this is not terribly new, you know, uh, you could class it in, as 3.0, okay? okay? And so that would be stem cells. Now, stem cells have been around for a while. Stem cells can be fat-derived, and the, the initial methodology in horses was fat-derived, um, and they seem to work. Um, then, um, you know, the literature um, all changed. They have to be mesenchymal stem cells. Okay, well, mesenchymal stem cells come from bone marrow. So, you know, they're going and hammering into um, bones of a horse and drawing this and then going to a special lab uh, where they're going to use sterile procedures and they're going to grow these cells. And then they're going to generate enough cells for you to use, ship it back to you, 
you put it into the joint or area of interest or tendon or ligament, whatever it is. Um, okay, well, you know, the problem became sometimes that took weeks to generate that. You know, the the case may have changed if it was six weeks before they sent it back to us. Um, and, you know, sometimes um, the, the, say, tendon lesion that we were going to stick it into now doesn't have much of a hole left. So, you know, where are you going to put this? Um, so there are problems. Then they started looking for other methodologies of stem cells. And there are. There's bone marrow aspirate. Not as popular, but with some people, they like it. Um, we tended to have flares with it, no matter how we did it. Um, and so not a huge fan of bone marrow aspirate um, because it's, it's the unpurified version of the stem cells. It's got all that other stuff in it. And some of that stuff really reacts when you put it in a joint. And that's where the flares come from. So a, a non-infectious inflammation within a joint because the joint's going, oh, well, I don't recognize this as part of my body. Um, so you, you had to be careful. Two other methods of getting stem cells came up and with it became a realization. One of the methods was dental pulp stem cells. So um, they, that dental pulp, which is undifferentiated in young foals, um, you know, could differentiate then into stem cells. So that was a method of doing, and it didn't have to be the same horse. It could be a different horse. And those are called allogenic, not mesenchymal. Um, and so the allogenic, then Tennessee came along and they got a group of horses that did not have these markers that caused the inflammation if you took it from one horse and gave it to another horse. So that became another method of allogenic stem cells. And so you could call up and say, hey, give me a dose. And they'd ship it out to you and you've got it within three days. So you're ready to go. There's a lot of different ways to use stem cells. The, the realization happened in both human medicine and in veterinary medicine kind of at the same time is we thought, and particularly with the mesenchymal stem cells, we thought that these became cartilage. If you put them in a joint and cartilage was damaged, they go and become cartilage. Actually, what they do is they're chemical signalers and what they do is they transform cells into radios that call out to the body and the body's own stem cells start coming in um, and that's how we think it works in the modern understanding um, so then other things came along and one of those is amnion products. And amnion products, um, you know, came to veterinary medicine. Now, they come from the fetal membranes of a recently foaled horse. And then they're preserved. Uh, the mare drops her afterbirth. 
they preserve parts of it, they freeze it. And in the early days of it, they uh, had product that, you know, had to be refrigerated or frozen. There were a lot of flares associated with it. The newer versions of it is they're kind of drying it, grinding it up under a better laboratory process. They're getting less flares. Um, and the way I like to think of it, there's no living cells in the amnion, but there are growth factors and, and growth proteins. Um, and so, and there's protein kind of lattice structures. So the way I like to think of it is, okay, I need, I'm going into a soft tissue structure. I want to put stem cells or PRP or whatever I want. Um, and then I'm going to do that, but I need kind of a lattice for it to all hang on to and stay mm -hmm. there. And so you can do that. Some people in the past have used uh, polyacrylamide gel to do similar things. Um, so there's a lot of different options. But then the latest of these orthobiologics come on that I would call 4.0 um, is alpha-2 macroglobulin. Um, and alpha-2 macroglobulin is someone's attempt to take PRP and um, kind of fractionate it down to where just the anti-inflammatory portion of it exists, okay? Because PRP, as wonderful a tool as it is, has both an inflammatory and an anti-inflammatory component. And so sometimes we're using it in certain cases for the inflammatory component. We want to scar an area down. Um, and other times, say in joints, we'd prefer just to have the anti-inflammatory aspect of it. Um, you don't get to pick. It, it comes as a package. The alpha-2 macroglobulin is a, a fairly large protein, and what it does is it's specific to these inflammatory proteins called proteases. And proteases are at the root of a lot of bad things that happen to joints, and they, they degrade cartilage. They do a lot of bad things. So Having a lot of protease in your joints is a bad thing. It means you've got pretty inflamed joints. Um, and the alpha-2 macroglobulin is, like a lot of these things, a naturally functioning um, protein within our bodies. It's produced by the liver. Um, but it's in very low concentration in joints. Yet joint, an arthritic joint, has a lot of protease in it. So an anti-protease is a good thing, okay? And so PRP would have alpha-2 macroglobulin in it, along with a whole lot of other stuff, but um, not at very high concentrations. So alpha-2 macroglobulin was an attempt to increase the concentration and then fractionate it and then stick it back in a joint. And 
for our use of it, it became every bit as useful as corticosteroid injections, very nicely anti-inflammatory, but without some of the negative repercussions on cartilage um, that you get with corticosteroids. Um, so, you know, L2 macroglobulin is actually very cartilage friendly um, and it, it encourages it because it's getting rid of the inflammatory proteins in there. So it's a really great tool to, and I can use it, say, once every six months on a horse that's got a chronic inflamed joint. I don't have to go back every week and repeat it or every two weeks. Um, it, it's got a quite a good punch to it. And so you can use it um, and then not use it for a while. And you can take the remainder and freeze it. Now, IRAP had that advantage. PRP is not very freezer friendly. Um, Amnion is the easiest of a lot because it's kind of dried sitting in a syringe or in a vial uh, and you're carrying around in your truck. Um, so it's the easiest a lot, but also it's easy if, you know, in the ALF2 macroglobulin that you can go get a syringe out of the freezer that you had drawn six, nine months ago and you can go and use it for a current inflammatory problem. So that's our kind of our menu of um, and different. I've kind of done it chronologically um, with, you know, version 1.0 and version 4.0 being separated by about, um, you know, 20 odd <laughs> years. Um, and then, you know, all those were going on concurrently, obviously, in some cases. Uh, and the stem cells, like I say, we're, our realization is different. Um, and, and because it was always odd to me that the, the fat stem cells seemed to work, the mesenchymal seemed to work, the dental pulp seemed to work. Wow, all these were working. Um, but we just didn't understand how they were working. Um, and then with some breakthroughs in human medicine, they understand it much better now. So I, I, I think it's actually, uh, um, you know, people will complain to me, oh, I've got too many choices now. Well, <laughs> that's rarely a bad thing, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and we've had the luxury of working with these products, all of them, for more than 20 years. And, uh, you know, we see each of them having their strength in various cases and areas. And so we're utilizing almost all of them. Um, and, but it depends upon the case and how we're gonna select it, the client's budget, the horse's injury, um, and our experience on what's going on. And if I have, something that flared on me, well, I'm probably going to be a little hesitant to reach for that again for a while. Yeah. So how is it that, that veterinarians can learn more about what cases to use, what products with? I mean, what's, what's your advice to them? Well, there's, there's a variety 
of, I mean, one is simply reading the literature and then their literature summaries, and then there, in some cases, there are meta-analyses of these things where, you know, they look at a whole bunch of papers and try to categorize it. Um, the, uh, to me, the most of the big meetings, um, AEP, BIVA, ICELP, um, they will cover this ground. There have been some um, North American regenerative um, meeting. Um, it is one we've presented there in the past. Um, there's a, a one that's done on a podcast now in the fall, and it's um, a regenerative orthobiologic meeting, and they talk about these things and, and you know get a fairly wide audience because it's all done virtually. Um, then, and there's, and I've attended several times another group uh, in human medicine called the Orthobiologic Institute, uh, TOBI. Um, and TOBI has a meeting every year. They stream it now. Uh, I attended it twice. I think first time I was the only veterinarian there. <laughs> uh, the second time there were about three or four. Um, but it, it's a nice way to get on the cutting edge of what's going on in human medicine. Uh, some of it's applicable to us, some of it's not. Um, but, you know, very useful ways to do it. Uh, you know, in ICELP meetings, which I'm very familiar with, we, we talk all the time about um, orthobiologics, which is appropriate for which case, uh, treatments. Um, and so we try to do that on a case-based process, you know. ICELP approach is, of course, anatomic-based, but then part of the education is case-based, and that's where we cover the treatment. So there's lots of different ways to do it. Talk with a colleague who's familiar with it. Who Ask him what case. And, and one of my, I probably left out, let me go back, and that's probably in about the 2.0. There's a version of IRAP that's called ProStride, and that version um, is designed to use right then and there when you draw it. Um, and so that got by one of the problems with the original IRAP. Um, so, and that, you know, they use different terminology. You can call IRAP, you know, um, uh, conditioned, um, serum, um, so uh, autologous, so you're drawing it from the same horse, autologous condition serum. Um, so, you know, any of those terms work, um, but the question is, so you talk to your colleague, your friend down the street, your classmate, hey, wow, I see you talking about this, you know, which one's the best, which one and the answer is, because I get a bunch of those phone calls, is <laughs> the answer is, well, it depends on what you're doing. And it depends on what your clients can afford. And it depends on whether you want another syringe and do you have room for it in your truck. Um, there's lots of good questions about which one fits for you, uh, depending upon your situation. I 
I gave a talk down in South Africa recently on some of these orthobiologics. And, and this was a group who was very familiar with uh, PRP and ProStride and IRAP, and, but they were not very familiar with alpha-2 macroglobulin. So that was what a lot of the talk covered. Uh, and this was new to them. And they had that same question is, gosh, you mean I have to carry another centrifuge around? Well, there are ways around where you only have to do one centrifuge, but you have to do some little tricky things with centrifuge to make that work. So it depends which one is best for you, depending upon your practice, what you're trying to accomplish, what your clients want you to accomplish within a price range and then your familiarity with these things. Well, gosh, that's a lot of great information. And I do want to tell our readers that we are going to talk to Dr. Allen in a future podcast about using some of these orthobiologics on the neck and back of horses, because I know we've had some questions about those, because I don't think it matters what kind of medicine you're practicing, whether it's your top-end sport horse or somebody that's dealing with backyard, you know, older horses, which every client has got these days and trying to do that. So we're going to talk to Dr. Allen about that in a separate podcast. So make sure and be on the lookout for that one. So is there anything else that you wanted to add just on this general conversation of orthobiologics, Dr. Allen? Well, the the thing I would say is that these are all tremendous tools and you have to put each one of them in the correct category and, and work with them in the correct case. Um, the, the, and, and the question is, in some cases, well, are these really going to be superior to what we're using now? We've been, let's say, practice been using cortisone and hyaluronic acid for 20, 30 years. Well, are, are these an improvement? Well, it depends. Uh, and, and certainly we are now looking for things that are more cartilage friendly. And we grasp that Yes, overuse of cortisone can harm the cartilage in the long term. And I, I don't think we can argue that one anymore. Um, that's the truth. Uh, so how you do this and what you use, again, depends upon your situation and what you're going to try to accomplish and what you're going to educate your clientele, you know, that. There's plenty of, say, trainers who, hey, they've been taking their horses in and Doc's been injecting them twice a year for a long time. Well, that's fine. All of a sudden, Doc's got this new stuff. Do I really need that? Well, maybe not. And maybe not for all the horses, but there will be circumstances where you need it. And there will be circumstances where you need to put it in a soft tissue and you need to do a guided injection and you've got to learn how to do that too. So that's another piece of the puzzle and you, you don't want to throw out the cortisone, but you know, all, <laughs> all things in moderation, including moderation. 
Oh, that's a great note to leave it on, Dr. Allen. We thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And we thank our listeners for joining us and listening. And a big special thanks to our sponsor, Merck Animal Health. And we invite our listeners to uh, go find past episodes of Disease Du Jour on your favorite podcast network. And if you have any questions or suggestions, send an email to me at kbrown, that's the letter K Brown, at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a part of the Horse Radio Network, the leading podcast network for horse lovers worldwide and a division of Equine Network.